life in Christ. Paul knew that if the Ephesians understood who they were and began to live in Christ, the world would never be the same. The same can be true for today. If we understand what it means to live in Christ, if we understand what it means to live in Christ, if we understood what it meant to live in Christ, if we understand what it means to live in Christ, to be the church, our city and our world would never be the same. Never be the same. Would never be the same. Would never be the same. Would never be the same. Welcome to each one of you and those that are watching online with us this morning. We thank you for being a part of worship here at Mount Zion Baptist Church. We would never be the same. Would you like that? I would. I would like to be made different by the work of God in my life. I would like to be transformed. I would like to take this truth that I hear in Scripture and it become a part of my everyday life so that, as the Scripture says, they will know you are my disciples if you have love one for another. I want people to look and see Christ. I want to walk out into a world that does not have hope and see if there can be hope for them. So we're in the book of Ephesians. The book of Ephesians um, is broken into two Different, the book of Ephesians is broken into two different sections. The first section is a book of instruction, chapters 1, 2, and 3. The second, 4, 5, and 6, is a book of application. So we're in the section of the book where Paul is teaching us what he wants us to know. When we get to chapter 4, he's going to teach us how to live what he's taught us in the first section. So today we are in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to join along with me. And as I read it to you, he says, Therefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of His calling, what are the riches of His inheritance in the saints, and what is, ex and what is the exceeding greatness of His power toward us who believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead, seated him far above the principality and power and might and dimension, and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. And he put all things under his feet, and he gave them to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills in all." 
This is too much to do in one Sunday morning. So today, we're going to take verses 15, 16, and 17. We're going to dissect those. And then next week, we'll add to 15, 16, and 17 and begin to understand verses 18 to 23. When we begin to study the book of Ephesians, we know that it's a book Paul wrote. We know that it's one of the prison letters because in Ephesians chapter 4 verse 1, he says, I, Paul, a prisoner of the Lord Jesus Christ. So you need to get a mental picture here. Here is Paul in prison, in shackles by his feet, in shackles around his wrist. And under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he is dictating to his amanuensis, that person that is writing the words down for him. He's dictating these words. And in chapter 1, verses 1 through 14, he has told us what are our spiritual blessings in the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, I want to give praise to the Father because He planned our salvation. He said, I want to give praise to the Son because He purchased our salvation. He said, I want to give praise to the Holy Spirit because He has presented to us salvation. And then He puts that wonderful word, that transition word there in 15 where He says, Therefore, therefore, because I have now told you everything that you have in Christ, and therefore, because I'm hearing that you have faith, and you have placed faith in Christ, he says, now I want it to move from a knowledge in your head to an understanding in your heart. In other words, what he's telling us here is, I want it to go from information to start working towards transformation. Don't be able just to raise your hand in Sunday school and say, Ooh, I know the answer, but walk out the doors of the church and into the streets and into the job and into the classroom and into the home and live it out in front of people in such a way. So we're talking about it. It's here. He's a prisoner. He's interceding. He says, I, Paul, make mention of you in my prayers. You know, when you pray for someone else, it is called intercessory prayer. Right now, I am interceding for my daughter. I'm praying for her daily as she is approaching the end of pregnancy. I'm praying for my soon-to-be-born grandson. Father, let him be healthy. I'm praying that he would come to know Christ early, that he would be surrounded by people that love him and love God. I'm even praying for his future mate, that she would be a woman on fire for the Lord Jesus. I am interceding for him. The scripture says that Jesus is forever seated at the right hand of the Father making intercession for you. I don't know what you're going through today. Miss Pat, I know you're going through issues with pain, but I know this, that the pain may be bad, but I know that the God of all glory is praying for you right now. He is on your behalf. And you know that if He's praying because He's God, He's praying the will of God. And so He may be... If the, if the pain's not receding, then he's praying, Lord, help her to understand the purpose of the pain. Give her endurance in the pain. Because, God, you want what's best for her. And you see, in the church, we not only need to pray for ourselves, but we need to be praying for one another. We need to be taking the needs and the lives and the hearts and the hopes and the hurts of the people around us and crying out to God, Father, your will be done. Your name be glorified. God, as we walk out of here we, let us make you famous. You see, because while we don't want storms in our lives, 
The truth is the people that we come into contact with every single day are in the middle of storms in their lives. So if we walk out of here and everything's hunky-dory and rosy, then we don't know how to relate to them. So what we want to begin to pray is, God, as we go through our things, you be our strength, you be our wisdom, you be our help, and let us show people you in the middle of it. Paul is praying, he's interceding, Jesus is interceding for you right now. So as we get into this, as we begin to understand it, he says, Therefore, I want you to know. Paul knows that because of those first verses, what we got through God the Father, what we got through God the Son, and what we received through God the Holy Spirit, that we have a lot more at our disposal. We have access to a lot more than we're living. He knows that we're not appropriating all that we can have in Christ. He knows that when we're going through situations that there's resources at our fingertips that because we have not moved it from our head to our heart that we're not applying it. He knows that when we interact with people that we're not showing them the full goodness and glory of God. He says, so I want you to know I'm praying it for you. Are you if I say the name William Randolph Hearst, does everybody pretty much know who I'm talking about? He was an old rich guy. His granddaughter got kidnapped. He had a lot of money. Well, he was also an avid collector of rare and very expensive art. And so he was searching one day for this through the catalogs of art that might be available. Or he heard about a picture. And when he heard about that picture, he went to his, um, the one who procured art for him. And he said, I love this picture. I want this painting. Do whatever you have to do to get it for me. So the person that would secure art for him searched and searched and searched and went and looked and went all over the places. Finally, he came back to him and he said, um, Mr. Hurst, I've got to tell you, you already own the picture. It's in this warehouse at this address in this bin. Now, that's too many pictures. Y'all know that, right? Well, can I tell you something in your God life? You, we run around looking and searching and wanting and needing and, and saying, I wish I had. And what Paul is telling you, you already got it. Dig into the warehouse of his goodness. Dig into the warehouse of his might and his power. And you can draw on that. And here's so, such the cool thing about God to me. Is I don't have to come as one who already knew I had it. I can come to him and say, Father, I did not know that was available to me. If I should have known, forgive me. But now that I do know, God, would you appropriate that power in my life? Would you make it real? Would you bring it to life? Would you let it be more than words in my mouth? But would, it, would you let it be actions in my life? Paul has written a prayer. Which, by the way, have you ever been told you should just pray your prayer, not write it down? I have been. When I was brought up, I was told, oh, no, 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 you're more spiritual if you can just stand up and spout it out loud. And so I labored under this false pretense for a really long time. Like, I would stand up and didn't know what to say, and I'd think, man, if I'd have just written that down, I think I could have done more justice and actually understood what God wanted in the heart of God. 
In fact, I was at the Southern Baptist Convention a number of years ago, and there were thousands of people in the room, and they asked me to pray. And I was scared to death. I really was. I mean, if you would have seen my trousers shaking, I was so nervous because there were so many people. And just before I went up there, I clearly heard God say, write it down. I was like, really? <laughs> you are the man. Thank you. And so I wrote it out, and it was much more comforting. Well, Paul, he could have prayed extemporaneously. He could have stood up and, and prayed, and everybody in this room would have probably gone, man, I wish I could pray like Paul. But you see, he wasn't just praying for that moment. He was praying for the people of Ephesus. And by that, he's also praying for you today. If he had said that prayer one time and not written it down, we wouldn't know about it. They didn't have recordings. The TV stations weren't there recording Paul's prayer for us, so we get to see it. So think about this. In your life, when you begin to pray for your children and your grandchildren and your church and your family, why not start recording the words? Father, today I pray for, and you fill in the blank. Father, I'm asking that you would show them the fullness of your might, the fullness of your power. God, I'm asking you that you would heal them on, in this way. God, would you give them strength to endure, strength to overcome. My mom, I think I've told you all this, but she has several Bibles through the years. And she has verses underlined with dates by them. And she has right, I think I have the most pages, but it said, Lord, would you give him self-control? Lord, would you help him not to do this? And God, would you forgive him when he does that? But it's there, and I know it. And my mom says, oh, I prayed this for you. And she'll say, in fact, hold on just a minute. And we'll be on the phone, and she'll hold up, and she'll go pick up certain Bible, and she'll open up the page. She said, Chris, it was on this day, on this month, on this day, on this year, and this is what I asked God to do for you. And then she writes out beside it, answered. And then she puts the date on there. She's still got something to write answered by, I know. But I know she's praying, and I know she's prayed for this worship service this morning. And so I want to encourage you, don't look at this and say, well, why did he write it down? Look at it and say, praise God he wrote it down. And then learn from the example and begin to journal your prayers, whether it's off to the side of your Bible or in a notebook, begin to record it. Because this is what I know if you're like me. You'll pray for somebody today and forget what you prayed for them how you prayed for them a month later, and somebody will come up and say, oh, thank you for praying, and I'll, you have to say, now what did I pray for you about? But if you're like my mom, you open up that Bible, you know the date, you know the time, you know the place. And there it said, and what a legacy to give to your kids and your grandkids and your spouse. They prayed for me. Well, Paul has prayed for us. And so as we begin to look at this prayer, the first thing I want us to do is I want us to look at the setting of the prayer. What's, where is Paul? We already know he was in prison. We already know that he was praying for the people of Ephesus and by default praying for us on down the line. But if we go back to verse 15, we've got the connecting word, therefore I also, after he's told them these things that they have, he says, therefore I also... After I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, do not cease 
to give thanks for you, making mention for you in my prayers. Or as I pray, I'm praying for you. Now you think about this. Here's Paul. He's the spiritual father to these people. He has gone and told them, contrary to culture, contrary to teaching, he's gone and told them about this man Jesus that left heaven and came to earth, lived a sinless life, died on a cross, was buried in a tomb, and rose again on the third day. And he said, he died for you so that you can know God intimately. So can you imagine how he felt after he heard that they became people of faith? You know, today we'll have baptism, and usually right after baptism, when somebody displays their faith, all of you clap because you're excited that someone has trusted God. And while we're excited for somebody we don't know, how do you feel when it's your child or your brother or your spouse or somebody that you have labored in prayer for that they would come to know the truth? Paul says, I am happy. I am happy because you have gotten it. I am happy because you are forever transformed. And he actually tells him, I'm doing this. And he says two things about them in the setting of the prayer. He's, first of all, he says, first of all, I'm grateful that you have faith in, that you have committed yourself to the Lord Jesus. I'm happy that you're living for God. Faith in Christ is the vertical relationship of our lives. We reach up to God. We reach out to God. It's a vertical relationship. He came from heaven down to earth so that he could enter into the hearts of men and women. And Paul says, I know, I have heard, and I'm happy that you've done that. But hearing the word faith in made me start thinking about other prepositions that are tied to the, the thought or the idea of faith. Let me give you an example. In Acts chapter 16, the Philippian jailer asked them, What must I do to be saved? And Paul said to the, to the jailer, he said, I want you to believe on the Lord Jesus. Now here he says faith in. When he's talking to the Philippian jailer, he says, I want you to believe on. Now that preposition on or believing on is the idea of resting upon something. My Bible is resting upon, resting on this podium. This podium is holding my Bible up. There's nothing between my Bible and the floor except the base, the foundation, the top of this podium. So when he looked at the, to the Philippian jailer and he said, I want you to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, the, what I want you to rest all of your hope on is Christ. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. He said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Today, what are you resting upon? Are you resting upon the finished work of Christ on the cross? Are you resting upon heritage of a, you come from a family of faith? Are you resting upon education or employment or, or finances or intelligence? What are you resting upon? Now here, we, we can rest upon something that makes us feel good. But listen to me. We can also rest upon something that's not true. We can be resting on something we've heard as a child. You're not pretty. You're not smart. You're not going to do that. You're not able. 
And Paul says to the Philippian jailer, what you must do to be saved, what you must do to be born again, what you must do to be right with God, is you believe on Christ. This morning, let me encourage you. Believe on Christ for the truth. Believe on Christ to dispel the lie. Believe on Christ. Believe on, but keep going. Because he told them, he said, I want you to ha- I've heard about your faith in. He said to the Philippian jailer, uh, you must believe on. And then in Acts 20, 21, it says, repentance towards God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. Toward, T-O-W-A-R-D, toward, carries the idea with it of pointing your life in a certain direction. So you have faith in Christ, you believe on Christ, you move toward Christ. He's saying to us, before your God life, you were, I'm sorry, I have ADD and y'all got to see this. Ha! Every time I say something, those lines jump in accordance to what I just said. So I'm looking and I go, ha! There they go. Um, (laughs) Oh, that's amazing. But look, does it do it when I jump? There it is. All right, so where were we? Believe it, uh, faith in, believe on, faith toward. All right, so faith toward the Lord Jesus Christ. I am walking this direction, and then one day, all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit that presents salvation presents to me that I, through Christ I can have a different life. I've been walking this way now because I know the truth. I do an about face, and I walk toward Christ. It's a life focused on Him. I believe on Him. He is what I rest on. And once I rest upon Him, I begin to walk toward Him. So now let's go back to this thought, believe on the Lord Jesus, faith toward the Lord Jesus. And in our passage today, the preposition in, I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus. It's the idea of a harbor. A place where Ships and boats would dock to get out of the main current and the flow and the vulnerability to storms. It's where you go to anchor. It's where you drop anchor. It's where you go and when life is falling apart, you say, I'm dropping my anchor on Christ. And the scripture says that he holds us in the palm of his hand and nothing can remove you from it. When I was a little boy, my dad had a boat. We rode in the boat, and I enjoyed the boat. One day we were riding in the boat, and I got tired of riding in the boat, and before he could stop the boat, I decided I was just going to jump out of it. And about the time I went over the edge, My dad grabbed something, and I'm not sure what it was back here, but it was a part of me. And he did not let go. I was anchored in the clutch of my father's grasp. And until the boat was stopped, and until the boat was secure in where he could pull me back in, he held on. And you see, you're going to be in situations in life where life is bigger than you, or you've made a choice that, that you think, oh my goodness, how could I be a Jesus person and do that? And I want you to know that when you are a born-again child of God, you are in the grasp of the Father's hand, you are anchored in Him. 
And the storms of life, the lies of life, the sin of life cannot pull you away from him. That's why he would say to us, no created thing can snatch you out of my father's hand. That's eternal security. That is once saved, always saved. That's when you become a child of God, you are a child of God. Now listen to me. The scripture says no created thing. First question I have to ask you, do you believe the Bible? And do you believe it when it says no created thing can snatch you out of my father's hand? I got to ask you a question. Have you ever believed if I commit this sin that surely then I'm not born again? Well, I want to ask you a question. Are you a created thing? If you're a created thing and no created thing can snatch you out of the Father's hand, guess what? You don't have that power. Now, Paul would also say that's not a license to continue in sin. In other words, because I'm eternally secure, I can live like I want to live. In fact, Romans 6 would tell us that, in fact, it's just the opposite of that. Because you are born again, you should not want to continue in sin. 1 John 1, 9 would say that once you realize that, that your sin has been exposed to you, whether publicly, privately, um, then you go to, God, go to God and say, Father, forgive me, cleanse me from my unrighteousness. And the Scripture says He does that. So Paul is looking here. He says, I am proud of you because you have faith in. You are anchored in Christ. To the Philippian jailer, he said, I'm glad that you're resting upon Christ. To the believers in Acts 20, 21, he said, I'm glad you're walking toward Christ. So you see, this morning we're sitting here and we got to answer some questions. Am I resting upon Christ? Am I moving toward Christ? Is my life anchored in Christ? Important questions. Eternal questions that we must answer. So the first thing he tells them in the setting of the prayer is, I, I hear your faith in, a vertical relationship. But look what else he says. That you have love for. And who's the love for? Other believers. That's a horizontal relationship. My faith in is me and God. My love for, that's us. All the saints. If you're included in all this morning and you're able, I want you to stand up. All right, I want y'all to look around. Y'all better be loving all these people. And he didn't say, I love you because, or love them because, you may be seated, thank you. He didn't say, I want you to love them because they think like me, act like me, look like me, talk like me, worship like me, behave like me, know what I know like me, and all of those things. He said, I love you because, I'm, I'm grateful for you because you've got love for the saints. He's looking at the church and saying, y'all better go learn how to love somebody. He says, this makes me happy. Faith is the vertical relationship. Love is the horizontal relationship. Faith is invisible. You can't see it. Because when I was a teenager in June 1978, 79, um, and I accepted Christ in my, into my life, not one of you could have looked and seen what God did inside my heart. It was real, and it was there. But it was something that God did in me, and me and God knew it. But love is the visible 
aspect of the Christian life. People can see if you're loving people. You know what I'm talking about. You go live life and you get around somebody that's nasty and you know it pretty quickly. You know it in what they say. You know it in how they act. You know it in how they come across. Paul says, I want you, hey church, because he did say it to the saints, right? Church. He says, I want you to love people. Love to all the saints. I shared this poem with the Wednesday night Bible study. To dwell above with saints we love, that will indeed be glory. To live below with saints we know, that's another story. It is. It's another story when you've got to take that admonition, that instruction from Paul, and now go live it out. Because truth, right? There are people we don't like. Truth, there are people that don't like us. I'm still amazed. My mama told me, she said, Chris, there's going to be a day you're going to meet somebody that don't like you. I said, can't believe that, mama. And she said, it's true. And she didn't lie. And there are people that we run into. And so what we've got to do, we've got to begin to ask, God, teach me. You made me who I am. You made them who they are. And God, we're different, but now you've told me to love them. Lord, I am crying out to you. Teach me how to love in Jesus' name. Teach me how to live this out. God, I want to be a visible difference. John 13, 35. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love toward one another. You're walking in the direction towards the same word. You're walking in the direction of love so that the people we encounter, the people that hear, oh, you go to Mount Zion Baptist Church, they're going to love you. And they will see it in us. God, teach us to love. That's the setting of the prayer. He says, I've told you all these things you have. I'm praying that you won't just have the knowledge that I gave you, but you'll know it in your heart. It'll be a part of your behavior. You'll live it out so that people will see it. But now the subject of the prayer drops down to verse 17 and 18. When we begin to read there, it says to us that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him, that the eyes of your understanding being enlightened. By the way, this is the first of two prayers that Paul prayed in the book of Ephesians. He prayed this one in chapter 1, verses 15 to 23. The second one that we'll look at is in chapter 3, verses 14 to 18. In this one, he prays that you will know that your eyes of understanding will be enlightened. In the one in chapter 3, verses 14 to 18, he's praying that you will be. In other words, the first part of chapter 1, he said, this is what you have. In this prayer in chapter 1, he said, this is what I want you to know. I want you to understand it. And in chapter 3, he says, now, this, I'm praying that you'll go be it. That you'll go live it out. But he's praying here for them. And he says that the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you will know what is the hope of your calling. That word enlightenment is this word illumination. Illumination would be that you would hear it, see it, comprehend it. You understand what I'm talking about? 
I have been enlightened to the fact that 2 plus 2 equals 4. I have been enlightened to the fact that if I seek God, He seeks me, He is seeking me. He will come into my life. When I surrender to Him, He will reveal Himself to me. Paul is praying that through the Holy Spirit, that, that they would be illuminated. Holy, illumination is the Holy Spirit enabling us to understand what God has said to us about Jesus in the Bible. Psalm 119.18 says, Open my eyes that I may see wondrous things from your law. Paul is praying for illumination. Paul is praying for them that when they read their Bible, you know what I'm talking about? You read a verse, you don't understand it, it doesn't make sense, and then one day all of a sudden you have that aha moment. He's praying that they would get more and more aha moments. That they would have more moments that when they read the Word, that they would understand it. You know what I'm talking about? You, you're new in your life with Christ, or right after you've committed a sin, you think, man, there's no way God could forgive me. And then God takes you to 2 Corinthians 5, 17. It says that if any man's in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are made new. And you say, whoa, he's talking about me. In Christ, I'm a new creature. The old stuff is gone. Or you've been living your life for Christ and you begin to understand some things about God, but you start to step out and then that voice just comes in. Oh, but you remember who you used to be. You can't step out and do that because they'll find out who you used to be. And then you'll come across that little precious verse that says that He will restore the years the locusts have eaten. And all of a sudden you look back and you go, wow, man, God used that. I don't, I'm not proud of it. I don't like it. But Father, thank you that you let me use it in someone else's life to help them understand exactly who you were. Paul's praying that you'll get the depth of the word. Paul's praying that it won't just be knowledge in your head, but it will be illuminated, that the eyes of understanding. John 16, 12 says, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. However... In other words, we're in the room having a conversation, Jesus and I, and Jesus says there's a whole lot more that I want you to know, but right now, if I gave it to you, you wouldn't get it, so it'd be a waste of giving it to you. He says, however, when He, the Spirit of truth, that's the Holy Spirit, say it with me, Holy Spirit. When He, the Spirit of truth, has come, He will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will tell you things to come. Jesus in John 16 was predicting the role of the Holy Spirit. So you're opening your Bible. You want to begin to read and you start to read and it's not making sense. What would the devil want you to do? Ugh, I don't get it. What would Jesus want you to do? Father, you told me in John 16, 12 that when He, the Holy Spirit, comes, He will guide me to all truth. Holy Spirit, take control. Holy Spirit, guide me to understanding. Holy Spirit, give me wisdom. Holy Spirit, let me see this passage as you intended it to be. Open the eyes of my heart. Lord, show me. And you will be amazed. 
God, the scripture says, God inhabits the praise of his children. Man, God likes it when you ask him, help me, daddy. Help me. You know the feeling that you're doing something. We were sitting in prayer meeting this morning. We had some smaller children. And the children were nervous about praying. But someone began to step in and said, okay, dear God. What did the little child say back? Dear God. And then they were walked through on how to pray. When they said amen. There was a smile. God wants to illuminate. God wants to give you eyes of understanding. God wants you to help. He wants to help you see. And if we will ask him, he will do that. So we've got the subject of the prayer. It's God wants to illuminate us. You see, to be without Christ is to be lost to the things of God. And you need to hear me. The scripture tells us that every human being has enough light in them to know that they need God. That's how the Holy Spirit presents salvation. You have enough in you to realize you can't do it on your own. And you have enough light in you to realize you need to call out to God. But you do not have enough light in you to gain illumination. That's why the Holy Spirit came to us. He's illuminated in our eyes. John 1.9 says, That was the true light which gives light to every man coming into the world. But 2 Corinthians 2.4 says, But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. Paul says, I'm glad you have faith. You've called on me. And now that you have faith, you have the Holy Spirit, and you can be illuminated. It can be illuminated to you. You will know the Word of God. So Paul is praying for us. He's praying that the understanding, our heart would be open. He wants us to have new eyes. He wants us to see things the way God intends. Now you listen to me. I believe with all of my heart, apart from a surrendered heart to the Lord Jesus Christ, I don't see things with God's eyes. I see them with my eyes. I see somebody at the red light that just cut me off. And I see how I want to respond. I see someone that talks rude or nasty to me. And I know how I want to respond. But now, Lord, help me to see it with your eyes. Help me to see it with your understanding. God, help me to see that if this happens in my life, you have said you are working for my good and my purpose. And God, I want to respond like Jesus would. He says, I'm praying that the eyes of your heart would be open. Which, by the way, when you become a child of God, you get new eyes. You begin to to be able to see spiritual things. But guess what? You get new taste in your life. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. You get a new set of ears in your life. He that has ears to hear, let him hear. That's what salvation does through the Holy Spirit. It makes you a new creature. It makes you a new man. Before Christ, you are, are away from God. But with Christ, you're in God. People ask, Pastor, how do you get this or that out of Scripture? I read the commentaries. I read what other people have to say about it. And then I do just what I'm telling you. I cry out, God, 
This is what men have said about you, but now, Holy Spirit, the one that knows all truth, would you help me to see what you say about this passage of Scripture? If you open your heart with a hunger in your heart to know more and more about Jesus, God will grant that prayer. He's obligated to. He wants to show himself to you today. I've told you before, but the Bible is the only book you'll ever read that every time you ever read it, that the author is in the room with you and he's available for question and answer. You need to understand that. You're not just reading a book. You're reading a living book that was authored by a living God who is living inside of you. And when you don't know where to turn, you cry out to him and say, God, guide me the truth. And he's obligated to do that. He is obligated to guide you to truth. He wants you to understand truth. So this morning, everybody in this room has light. The question is, how much light? If you've not ever received the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, you have just enough light in you to say, I need to come to Jesus as my Savior. If you have accepted Christ as your Savior, if you're resting on Jesus, then this morning you have all the light that you need to understand all the truth that God ever revealed. And you say, well, I wasn't listening. Have you know, do you know this? That when you sit in church, you're not just obligated to what you heard um, if you were listening, but you're obligated to what you heard even if you weren't listening. So when you drop your head back and go to sleep on me while I'm preaching, you are still obligated to the truth that you sat under. And I am obligated to the truth that I have presented to you. And there have been times that I have walked out of here and God said, you said it, now I expect you to live it. And when you get to that point in your life where there just seems to be a wall that you keep hitting over and over and over, have you cried out to God and said, God, don't just fix my situation, but God, transform my heart. God, change my life. God, change my mind. Give me eyes to see. And God, whatever you tell me to do today, the answer is yes. Because the promises, the Bible says that all the promises of God are yes and amen in Him. So whatever you need, it's yours. If you've not come to Christ, I would be running fast. I would be saying, Jesus, I want to rest on you. If you come to Christ and it's not making sense and it's falling apart, I would be crying out, God, let it make sense today. Because I'm ready. I want the vertical relationship right. And God, I know that one is, but man, I want my horizontal relationship, right? God, I want people to see Jesus in me. Have you accepted Christ? If not, you come running in just a moment. People are going to be standing here at the front. They'll tell you how to receive Christ. Are you that person that's received Christ and now you've walked away from God and you're saying, I'm tired of that, I want to walk toward Him? Then cry out, God, here I am. I turn away. I walk toward. Anchor your life in Jesus. If you've not accepted him, you come. If you 
have been, know Him as Savior and you've walked away from Him, come back to Him. Do you need to follow the Lord in believer's baptism? We're going to have one that will be baptized in just a moment. Some more next week that will be baptized. Don't wait. Don't delay. That's the thing that you need to do because that is the first step of obedience in the Christian life, by the way. By instruction is be saved and be baptized. Accept Christ and be baptized. Are you looking for a church home, a place to plant your life, a place to get involved? In just a moment, you come and say, I'm a believer. I've been baptized, and now I want to join this body so that we can show our love to this community.